slip it in. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number six of the Big Players Only podcast. One episode for each big player, and we got everyone in the room tonight. Myself, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. To kick things off, we're excited to announce our new partnership with the premier podcast network in the Frederick area, Listen Frederick. Under the umbrella of the company that owns and operates popular radio stations you might recognize, like 106.9 The Eagle, Key 103, and 93.5 Max Country. If you haven't heard of them, go check them out. Tons of exciting content and other awesome podcasts at listenfrederick.com. Thanks to the team. We're so happy to be part of the family. We got a great episode for you today, recapping the Players' Championship from this past week, looking at the upcoming Valspar Championship this week, and then to close out the episode, we'll get each big player's take on who they think the best player under 25 is. Hey, if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. Our story is always up to date with the latest and breaking news in the world of golf. Our posts are related to our picks from each week and then anything else exciting we got going on with the podcast. If you tune in during the weekends too, you might catch a really fun match between some of the big players. Thanks for being here and let's have a great episode. All right, we're coming off a pretty exciting and eventful week at the Players. Cameron Smith brings home the title and a record-breaking $3.6 million prize. Ironically, was quoted uh, saying that he was more excited and focused on seeing his family, who he hadn't seen in two years because of COVID this week, and then goes and wins the biggest prize in golf. Um, I think it's pretty pretty eventful because most guys, when they win, they use, they usually have like a relaxed and focused mind. And for Cam to go out and birdie five of his first six holes made that pretty clear. Cam outlasts Honorbon Lahiri by one shot and Paul Casey by two shots and a pretty drama-packed finish. Uh, and then to talk more about the tournament, we're going to kick it around to the guys for their most eventful things that happened this week. And uh, we'll start with Josh. How about this weather? What a ball-striking clinic you had to put on. Yeah, I mean, all eyes on the weather this weekend. We lost, what? two and a half days of play or something like that, and then had some very jam-packed schedules. I think we had the morning first day guys draw a very fortunate and favorable draw, so they got to play in much better conditions. The guys teeing, it, teeing off in the afternoon of the first day got the short end of the stick and had to play so many rounds on Saturday, which was pouring down rain, 30-mile-an-hour winds, and honestly, it's the most fun I've had watching golf in a long time. I mean, those guys had to hit so many different shots to be able to be successful. You had plenty of guys who struggled and, and couldn't hit the right shots. But, you know, we look at 17 as a prime example. Some people out there calling it impossible and they shouldn't have played. But all you had to do was flight it down, judge the wind a little bit well, and you're going to hit the green. I mean, it's it's easy stuff. We call we all could have done it that day. So simple. I think it was pretty telling when quite literally no pro had a hat on. They all just took their hats off because they wouldn't stay on. But you see, I mean, that's not something we see much in golf anymore is, is forcing guys to hit a wide variety of shots. It's, you know, playing the ball way up in the air, hitting a fade, and very one-dimensional. And, and on Saturday... They were forced to uh, use all the tools in their toolbox, and nothing. nobody was better at that than JT. I mean, he hit every single shot you possibly could on a golf course. We saw him on 17. He hit a flighted down six iron from 125, and then on 18, he hits a, a punch three wood from 180 and sticks it. Just watching him play the round, he, he navigated that course so well, hit all the shots you had to when all the top guys 
were struggling so much. One of the most telling stats was on Saturday on the 17th hole, the Island Green, of course, it played super tough, probably setting records for most balls in the water. Guys who flighted it down, like below a certain height, hit the green 85% of the time versus guys who tried to play it up in the air, I think hit at a 50% clip. So, I mean, a drastic difference. The guys knew the shots they had to hit, and some of them couldn't. I mean, we saw guys like Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa get nowhere close to hitting the green, and and it was just amazing seeing the, the stark contrast in play styles out there. Yeah, it was really telling. I think it was the group of Scotty, Brooks, and Xander, they were the first ones to actually tee off on 17 on Saturday and just all three right in the water. And then again, next time they came around, all three in the water, that, that wind was just unreal. And I after mean, those three dunked it, Colin was the first one to go in the next group and he put it right in too. And these are the best, some of the best iron players in the world. Like, it's amazing. Anyone here think they could have done any better out there? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Flight it down, easy. Flat. <laughs> Colin hits it low, so I can give him a chance, yeah. We didn't say skip it on the water. <laughs> On the, with all that weather and stuff, does anyone else kind of feel like it was almost a little bit of a letdown with this this tournament? Like the greatest field in golf that so much of this ended up being decided by the weather, you know, dictating that that group that you know went off Friday or Thursday afternoon just never really got to see good weather. I think it was pretty unfortunate to see like yeah, some of the top players in the world play on the weekend for sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's nothing they could do. We talked about it a little bit last week, and it's like play, players playing in the same conditions can't really make excuses. But and I know it was a random draw for when they were actually going, but it it was kind of a bummer. I think we have some stats on what the average, the average uh, world ranking was. It was like ninety first. The people that made the cut. Did you see that, Telly? Something like that. Yeah, there's something like the people that made the cut. I think the average world ranking was like 106 or something like that. You, you could tell the announcers were kind of trying to jam like Rom and Thomas like down our throats a little bit. <laughs> they were basically like, who are the guys that draw fans and let's just like keep going back to them. And even when Rom was not making a comeback, they kept kind of going back to him and being like, he can do it. If there's anyone that can do it, he can do it. So, I mean, I think it's exciting to see um, new guys, you know, place and win. But I, I it, it, you did notice the talent gap. Yeah, it's just kind of like they always champion this. It's, it's, you know, the greatest field in golf, you know, there's, the, the field is just unimaginable, and then in this case, 19 of the top 50 players that were in the field just missed the cut, including Morikawa, number two in the world, Cantley, number four, Xander, seven, Spieth, 14, Kepka at 18, Finau at 23. You know, you just had these big names that draw a huge crowd, and they're just nowhere to be seen. Well, we did get to see them on Saturday because of the 55-hour round one, but... Yeah, you just didn't get to see it when it really mattered. Yeah, 55 hours. It was like just under 55 hours for Crazy. the complete round one. Uh, so, And then you also, like... You had the aspect of, you know, there's people like um, Scotty Scheffler you know, did make the cut. Rory makes the cut at plus two, plus three, whatever it actually ended up being. But it was only because Scott Piercy blew up on 17 and 18 to finish his second round. They were really kind of out of it. You know, even you look at, you know, DJ, you know, he shoots a course record nine under on Sunday, three better than Cam Smith, but still finishes six strokes off the lead because he got, you know, in that draw where he, even though he makes the cut, he was never really involved, which just kind of kind of felt like a little bit of a letdown for me. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think some of these guys were exposed a little bit. No doubt, unfair draw, tough conditions, but to go out there and shoot six, seven over, and of course, where uh, plenty of other people were being able to make the cut, uh, it's it just kind of shows these guys don't have nearly as well rounded of a game to play in these kinds of conditions. And and sure, they're the elite ball strikers, but. They really struggled out here having to flight the ball down, hit these low punch shots. And so, I mean, granted, they didn't make the cut. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think the tournament was great to watch and everything. It was still fun. You know, it was, there was still plenty of drama and stuff that, you know, happened. It was just kind of like, oh, I wonder what, 
you know, Morikawa would have been doing on this day if it was, you know, he didn't have to play both of his rounds there because, you know, everyone had to play in the weather to some extent. They just happened to get fucked for their first two rounds. Yeah, for me, it really wasn't much of a letdown because, to me, it was kind of cool seeing some of these uh, better players in the world struggle. Um, we're used to seeing them every week just go out there, pretty much move the ball wherever they want it. Um, but like what Dub was saying, with JT out there kind of just bending every shot, just hitting unorth- unorthodox shots, I thought that was kind of cool. But then... Yeah, you see all these top players putting the ball in the water. It's like you rarely get to see that. So it's kind of cool seeing them kind of fight through the adversity a little bit, even though you'd love to see them in the final two rounds. It is kind of neat just to see them kind of grind it out. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of telling with the, uh, like when you look at the top 20 in terms of the difference between this this year and last year, the average, in 2021, the average world ranking of the top 20 golfers and better was 42. And this year it was 91.6 for the people that finished in the top 20. So it was just way different. Uh, like spectrum of people and like you said it's cool to see but it was just kind of like who the hell are these people i didn't know any storylines and it, it like ken said you didn't neither did the announcers they didn't know what the hell they were talking about either with them yeah, i think a discussion we had last week about how distance is kind of dominating the game this is a perfect example and there's many other tournaments where it's more how well you know your game and not how far you can hit the ball you see this tournament year in and year out always produces a winner that is most well-rounded and you saw cam smith was hitting the ball great but his short game really saved him his putting was out of this world 101 putts through 72 holes. It's got to be some sort of record or right up there. I mean, how do you possibly do that over four rounds of golf? He picked up 12 shots on the field putting this week. Holy shit. So he shot 14 under to win, and he picked up 12 putting. And on the flip side, he missed over half the fairways. So I think he might be the first guy even to win the players without being able to even hit half the fairways. So you're saying I have a chance? Yeah. Well, you always have a chance out there. Let's go. I don't think you're making 101 putts in 72 holes, though. Did, did you see his caddy after the round said that, like, from 60 yards and in, he just doesn't say a word to Cam. He just lets him take over. He just has such a silky, smooth wedge game. You know, I think growing up, I remember, uh, like, a golf mentor of mine always told me, like, really get good at your 40, 50, 10-yard gaps and kind of make it like a, like, a, like a clock hand, like your left arm acts as a clock hand, and you go, like, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and you watch Cam, and he is just... His, his form is perfect, and he's so dialed from inside 80 yards. That's pretty, you know, quit the title you're giving Larry. Yeah, that my dad did mentor? not teach me that. Oh, shit. He hey, taught me to pull the ball out of the bunkers. What did you say? How many putts was it? 100, 101? Yep. Looks, it looks like the record is 92, and there's only six rounds below, like, 100 or 96. So, ever. like, a top 10 putting pretty performance close, ever. Yeah, pretty wow. close. All t- and those, it, it seems like most of these are minor events, too. So. Yeah, and the also, I guess, think about the fact that, like, those greens were constantly changing in terms of how you had to put on, like slowing down, speeding up, all that kind of. I shit. mean, we talked yeah. about it in prequeling this this tournament as how like those are t- typically the hardest greens to put on on the PGA Tour, and Cam made it look like cake. It, I will say that is his home course. He lives right around there. He plays it all the time, so of course he knows it well. But still, I think he went way over and above what could you you could possibly expect from a guy like that. It was something we didn't cover, but. You know, so Cam plays there a lot, but he, I mean, someone had mentioned how he doesn't get to play as much as he wants because it's like, it's a pretty frequented course and played heavily, but it has like the best practice facilities in the world. And that's why he practices there. So speaking of another guy, guy that came in second, Honor Bonnelly Heary, pretty crazy week for him. Lots of up and downs. This is Tyler's major point of the week in his roller coaster the last few holes. Walk us through that, Tyler. Yeah, so I really paid extra attention to Lahiri this week uh, for round four. I may or may not throw in a little change when I'm at the start <laughs> of the round. Really got, it, got me dialed in. But looking at his last four holes, I thought was extremely interesting. Um, you saw some great parts of his game. You saw some weak parts. Uh, just to walk through the last four holes that he had on 15, it was a par four. Solid drive in the fairway, then puts his approach into the greenside bunker. 
puts his bunker shot then to two feet, tap in par. It's like, all right, he's looking in decent shape, and then go to the par five on 16. It's an okay drive into the right rough. Had to lay up, put it to 100 feet, so it's, or 100 yards, so you think he's in a decent spot. Puts it to 35 feet. I'm like, what are we doing? Let's try to make birdie on the par five. Uh, ends up two putting for par. A little bit disappointing not to pick up a stroke there. Um, but then 17 really stood out to me. It's like I'm watching the group before him when Cam puts it to what, six feet. And I think Cam shot like he he will never say this, but it was purely a mistake. There's no chance he's going after that pin with a two-shot lead. He did come out. He did. Yeah. He, he did came say out and said, yeah, yeah, I pushed that one. He, he did say he was playing for birdie. He wanted to give himself a birdie opportunity. Like a 20-footer left. He was aiming right. 15 feet left, pushed it right. Very fortunate, but... That's just not a pin you go after, but then, Tyler, to your point, like, Honorbon knew the situation he was in. It's a tough hole, but it is also only a pitching wedge, so he's like, I got to take my chance here, and yeah, yeah what a he, great hole. Yeah, he goes for it, puts it to 13 feet, just trickles in his birdie putt to get him within two. Um, honestly, at that point, I think we're, we're out of it. Uh, Cam had a two-stroke lead at that point, but you see Cam go into the trees with his drive on 18, ends up settling for bogey. Actually, kind of lucky to get bogey with that beautiful yep. approach up from 57 yards or so, put it to a couple feet. Uh, but then Lahiri comes up, great drive on 18. The pressure that was on him, knowing he had to put a good drive out there, middle of the fairway, 161 out, and then his game kind of lets him down again. His approach shot, you're thinking 161 out, go for it, leaves his short right. He has a chance to chip it in. Put it to a foot, which was pretty awesome. I yeah. thought I had a chance to go in, which would have forced the playoff. But just kind of seeing the ups and downs of him the last four holes was pretty neat. I didn't know much about him, but especially seeing him on 17, the stones on him to actually get the get the birdie and then actually have an opportunity to force the playoff. I thought it was really, really good effort from Lahiri. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got game. And, and something we talked about, I think, last night was, so if you're honor bound and you're 160 yards out on 18, you know you need birdie to force a playoff. You know, he's going at that pin, but you got to think there's something in the back of his mind knowing he's going to, he doesn't want to like throw away a $2 million second place purse and can secure like, you know, a potential spot in the, all that stuff's got to be going through his head. But um, I really would have seen him to like to see him take on the, the pin there. Honestly, I was, I was really impressed by the aspect of like how steady in general, it kind of felt like he actually seemed in my mind. Like he, there's scoreboards all over that course. You know, that's the whole like concept of the whole TPC, like, they know exactly what's going on, and he knew that Cam Smith was off to that just unbelievable start. What four or five birdies straight, and like he did, he didn't let it seem to like change his game. I thought that was you know really impressive for someone you know three hundred and twenty second in the world that doesn't really play on the PGA Tour too much. You know, mostly plays you know over on the European Tour. So I was just blown away by that. Like he still shot what three under on the round. Like yeah, I mean he he goes into this final round leading in the final group a guy who's not been in a situation like this in the Players Championship of all tournaments. He did what he needed to do to win. I mean, you take away Cam Smith playing out of his mind, he wins this tournament. Oh, Cam, so just you can beat him. You got to give him props. He went out there, took care of business, played a solid final round, and at the end of the day, fell a stroke short, but still pretty impressive. Like you said, a guy 300 and something in the world. Yeah, so talking about Honor Bond, I think we got to kick this thing over to Colin now because the golf fashion this week, there was a lot going on. It was cold. It was hot. We got to see lots of different styles. Um, but I think Colin wasn't a huge fan of Honor Bond's checkered red pants in the final round. So let's get more of that. I thought they were more orange, man. I think they were orange and they matched his shirt. But they're, Colin they're says they're red. Perfect. Well, yeah, all right. Let's start here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy for Honor Bond. He had a great week. Um, he They were talking about some of the recent struggles he had with COVID and I'm just really happy that he was able to come out. And yeah, he was out for a like nice a month. Performance yeah. this week. 
But uh, sorry, Tyler, you should have consulted me before putting that bet in because I could have told you as soon as I saw that ugly, <laughs> that disgusting pale orange quarters zip he had on the Hugh. He had no chance to win on Monday. I'm buying you a quarter zip that's that color. Just. I mean, these guys are saying that this pants matched his his shirt. I'm looking at the pants right now. There's a red the red stripes on them, and his quarter zip is pale orange. There's no matching there going on. At I did all. send a color swatch of different shades of peach to the group earlier, and I do believe his pants are a shade of peach. I believe he is just rocking the colors of India right there. He's got the orange and his orange stripes, green. Green, white, he's just looking beautiful, proud of his country. Well, I'm pretty sure my dad also has a pair of those pants. He wears them once a year on Easter as a joke. So, <laughs> your dad's got a lot of style. Yeah. So, I mean, ha- Mike Mummer, happy for Honor Bond, but uh, come on, we can do better than that on on a final round if we're going to be taking home the Players Championship. I don't know. I mean, we all you talk about the last couple of weeks, these guys in the final group wearing all black, and here we are bashing a guy for flashing some color. What? Where, where's the balance here? It's got to be the right color, Dub. Come on, wow. got to match. Wow, you we like colors? matching. So yeah, uh, there were some other uh, some other fashion talking points uh, that came out here before the tournament. We have JT officially signing a contract with Grayson. I think this was a long time coming after his split with Ralph Lauren a few years ago. Um, I know he won last year wearing a Grayson polo, so it's been over a year of him of him wearing this apparel. He's finally inking a contract, so good for that. Good for him. I think it's a great match. He came out with an awesome commercial before the tournament too. Did yeah, you the Scarlet Wolf, baby. I love it. JT's been rocking their stuff for a year. It's kind of an intro. You know, Grayson's not a huge brand, so this is a pretty big signing for them. And I think he just represents the brand really well. That fire in his in his belly, you know. Yep. Did you notice that the shirt he wore on his the Thursday round was the same shirt he won in? I did see that. And they were talking about him trying to get something going. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was I was kind of hoping he'd wear something a little more bold because obviously Grayson has has some aggressive patterns, but he, he was kind of kind of muted. So hope, hopefully, see a little more out of that uh, that partnership. Here I hope so forward. too. I'm sure we will. Uh, before the tournament, we also had Footjoy releasing their collaboration with the street artist John Buscemi. Uh, the player's shoe, it's called. It's kind of like an off-white, almost pale gold with gold accents. It's a pretty awesome shoe. I think Zalatoris is wearing them, and JT also. Yeah, it's like a cream. I think cream is kind of an underrated because, like, I think white's probably kind of out for like pants and stuff. Like, it's kind of like early two thousands. But you know, you see Rory and he won in those like cream colored pants, and those those shoes were fire. Like gold spikes, like metallic gold spikes, just straight fire. They were cool shoes, but kind of seemed a little muted for like a street artist like John Buscemi. Like, it, I kind of would have expected to be a little more loud. You know, you were t- you know speaking of shoes, you had brought up a like the other Footjoy one. What was going on there? Oh yeah, Lanto's Footjoys. Lanto Griffin wore a pair of Footjoys that were like two tone white with like gray and dark gray camo on the yeah. front sole, the front uh, toe. Those those are awesome. I, I think those were the the better shoe in my opinion. Oh, they're beautiful. I think yeah. they're cool too. I mean, Footjoy like they do the My Joys and the custom My Joys, and you can like they have like the shield tip ones like Lanto wore, and you can, I mean, you can do crazy combinations. It's like. Crazy complex patterns. The complex. Well, speaking of shoes, you guys had to know and I was going to bring this up. I was following the Harold Varner, Keegan Bradley group on Monday myself because what a those group there. Two OG Jordan reps we have. Keegan, I think, was the first one to wear the Jordan golf shoes. Yep. I mean, we all heard, hear the stories about him playing Jordan and calling him a walking ATM because he beats him all the time. But we also had Harold Harold Varner wearing the Air Jordan Twelve taxis that just came out to the masses oh, so this past nice. week. Do you guys know? I think I, we know someone who was able to cop a pair. I think it's you, Colin. <laughs> yeah, they just came in today. I'm so lucky, lucky boy. On like a secondary drop too, because they sold out in like a minute on Nike. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But we got a pair. That's all that matters. I'll um, be honest. I think 
every pair of Jordan golf shoes I've seen, I think are hideous. I love them. I, I think, think they look, they're just so modern. Like you wear them with the joggers, you wear them with some loud shirt, man. It's just, it's such a look. I mean, they're just basketball shoes with spikes on the bottom. They're great. Yeah, exactly. Basketball shoes out on the golf course. It, it definitely doesn't quite fit, but like I'm, I'm open to like a little, a little style, a little more, you know, boldness going out there. I just think these ones in particular, I think they just look horrible. Why? I just think they're ugly. They look like more like bowling shoes than anything else. They, mm-hmm. And like uh, Colin's lovely lady told us, there's like fat rolls all over them and shit. Like it, it just kind of. I don't. I don't think they got the style. I don't think these are the. I don't think these hit as much as all Jordan shoes will just fly off immediately. I don't I, think these are the ones. I think they have like a different palette. Like they're certainly like pure basketball shoes that turn into golf shoes. And I just like I'm loving the world we're in, where these other sports are starting to mesh with golf. And the more and more we see it, it just they keep looking better. And I think I think that w- with these ones, the story behind them is the cooler one because they're the, the shoes he Michael wore in the flu game, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the reason these were so popular more than the actual look of them. Well, agree or disagree, but <laughs> we'll move on here. Uh, we had some different hats coming out, uh, mainly from Adidas this week. We had Waka wearing the Tea Time logo. It was like a three on a tee. I think, Ben, you were the first one to point that out. Yeah, I thought it meant three off the tee because it hit it out of bounds like <laughs> we do. But no, I think the three stands, the three stands for like three Adidas stripes. But yep. it was pretty cool looking. Yep. And I don't know if you guys saw uh, the hat that Xander was wearing. It just said mm-hmm. golf on it. It seemed like something we'd like. It had these like little flags it was that, a rope that hat, almost it? looked like speckled. But yeah, it was a rope hat. Um, pretty cool. I, so that had kind of that speckle look to it. I just wanted to point out that that seems to be a new a new trend that's starting up. I think Adidas has put some of that on their polos too. And I know Tully, you like to play the Vice golf balls. They came out with that speckled golf ball. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, too. you can find a bunch of those over or uh, Outer Banks last year. There should be a bunch <laughs> of those scattered throughout those courses. Uh, if you find them, send them out my way, please. Yeah, yeah I like things that aren't like you know loud. It works well if you're wearing like other solids, but if you're wearing you know just your normal khaki shorts or something like that, and you want a shirt that's just not plain, like these speckles look really solid. Yep, agreed. And then finally, we already talked about the weather, but with the cold weather and the wind and the rain, we had to we had to have seen that the hoodies were coming out this week. So we had Colin's functional hoodie. I mean, he was wearing that hood between all the holes on Saturday. It I was believe. freezing. Yeah. Um, you, we had our champion, Cam Smith, rocking an awesome two-tone navy and pink uh, penguin sweater. I think the boys were texting about that, saying how awesome that looked. Brian Gay was out there wearing a little a literal like full zip down jacket. I don't know if that was meant for golfer. He just like a North Face coat closet. It's literally what it looked <laughs> he was like. desperate. He didn't get set with anything. He had to go out to the stores at the. In the- I think Eric Van Ruyen said he's like I got. I put like three layers on, and I would have put more on, but I couldn't swing. He's that's how cold it was. Hey, was he at the OK Corral? <laughs> They would not stop talking about his mustache the other day. Can that be lumped into the fashions uh, segment moving forward with facial hair? It does look like he needs to start waxing the tips and curling them up a little bit. Yep. And then finally, we had the people's champion, Jill Damon. Did you guys see he was literally just wearing sweatpants? Yeah, so good. Because he's so cold. That's such a Jill Damon move. We love him. Like, how cold was it, actually? I thought it was like 45, like 50 at coldest down there, wasn't it? it I think it was in like the high 30s to start, and it was like a cold, wet, you know, like almost like borderline winter day and down there like wet it's when it's cold it's just it's colder than we can imagine i don't know ben i've seen you play in the 35s up here and you know you're wearing shorts that's because we're always walking not (laughs) (laughs) nice okay i think that wraps up our topics anything else guys yeah what'd you think of the uh golden man out there the golden man is nightmare fuel you didn't see him on the bottom there bud (laughs) all right to you you want to skip him? The golden man was kind of creepy. I don't know. I think that they did him like as Tiger when he made the putt. And it was just like his, he wasn't very fluid. It was kind of creepy. That was on purpose, wasn't like, it? it? I mean, it was a cool concept. I love the effort. But like it was so like poorly actually edited. And it just kind of looked unnatural. And like it looks like a mannequin coming alive in a, like in a horror movie sort of situation. I, I did not like it. I loved it. Let's get some more gold man out there. <laughs> 
it was funny. They're trying to reenact these great moments, and, and Goldman's out there, and it's you know transposed against just fans couldn't be calmer sitting in the sitting in the stands drinking a beer or whatever. Goldman's celebrating a big putt, so it just didn't <laughs> quite line up. Nice, I think. And so to wrap up this segment, Kenny has a good a good talking point here about the the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen stretch here at TPC Sawgrass, which always proves to have crazy amount of excitement. You definitely like premeditated try to skip mine, right? No, it's all the way at the bottom. I forgot about it. I was about to daylight savings. Right before time. I walked you in, you were like, "Hey guys, I'm going to skip this," and he's going to be like, "No, I love your topic here because like <laughs> walking up to sixteen green, like being able to see yeah. seventeen, it's huge." Yeah, this might um, <clears> this up. might I would I would encourage everyone to go on Google Maps and just look at the course because I, I think this might kick off like a. Um, a repeating segment on course design. We can talk a little more about that. What I was, I was doing some, some art for the pod and I started looking at the course more specifically. And one thing I think is interesting is that if you look at 16 and 17, 18 and more totality, they're not as isolated as you think when you look on TV, like when you're watching 17 on TV, you kind of see it as this, like this kind of singular space where everyone's surrounding it. It's like this big kind of, kind of similar to the waste management, like this kind of singular spot. And then I realized like, as you're walking up 16, the guys on that fairway can see what's happening on that hole. They can see the grandstands and the 18th tee box is super close to where that greens at green actually is. So I, I, the atmosphere there, I get, maybe it's just, um, maybe it's my lack of knowledge of the course, but I do, th- I just, it's a lot closer than I thought. And I think this, this phenomenon is probably like, probably happens a lot more than we realize when we're watching on TV as the, as like an average viewer might not know that these are also intertwined. Yeah. I think when they, when they're doing the segments, I mean, they're trying to kind of, block out what's happening on other holes you know you always can hear like a roar from really far away but in this case in the coverage you didn't hear it much all day and at one point someone was hitting a wedge i think it was paul casey was hitting a wedge into 16 and someone had just dunked it in the water and they were kind of like a little early to paul's shot and you could hear it and i'm like thinking to myself that's right 17 is just right there yeah and the same water comes into play on 16 too so it's it's really uh it's 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 a lot more of like a um you know, kind of a shared experience than I thought. And I feel like, you know, there was also, there wasn't only record balls in the water at 17, but also 16 and 18 where the water really, really came into play a ton. For sure. And I mean, can you imagine like, you know, Shane Lowry had his ace on 17, which was phenomenal in round three. Can you imagine that happened on round four? Like, cause he was up there in leaderboard. That would have shook some people for sure. I mean, just the outside noise, like the murmuring that would last for five or 10 minutes after that, you could barely even concentrate. I think about Cam hitting it left on 16 and then having to punch out and having like 230 into the par five on a pretty vital shot toward his victory and just knowing that he can see 17 out of the corner of his eyes and he knows that hole's coming up and then he just sticks it to like 20 feet. He almost has to like stare at it from looking at, you know, where he was on 16. He basically has to stare at the 17th green and just watch what's happening. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you fast forward a hole, Cam Smith stuffing that ball on 17. Lahiri's back on 16 trying to play the par five and pick up some strokes and the guy he's chasing, he could clearly tell, just put one close and was about to make another birdie. So, yeah, you got to show some serious serious metal there listening to that to be able to step up and still hit a good golf shot. And then the because they're so close, the wind, I think that's what screwed a lot of guys up is the wind was affecting all three holes differently even though they're in the same exact part of the course. So like on on Saturday, uh, if you see the northwest of 17 over that lake on 18 is where the wind was coming from. It was whipping from the west and like coming right down over the grandstands and then Basically, you know, on Sunday it was coming from the east, which was coming over the 16th. So it wasn't as big of an issue because it was more straightforward. So you get the wind kind of swirling in that space, and I think there's really, there's really, I mean, they they said it over and over again, but there's really no way to tell when the wind's gonna dip or dip, dive, duck, and dodge, and dodge. That was not on purpose, but that's kind of what it felt like. It just kept changing. So 
I mean, you see that on the part three at the Masters. You see that here. I think that's what – it gets in the guy's head because I think they think, you know, I can hit this shot. Yeah, there's water. But what really gets in their head is when there's things out of their control. So even if even if they're aiming 20 feet left, they know if they pull it a little bit, that wind's coming off at 16. It's just toast. One, one thing I thought was interesting um, is that – uh, I feel like a lot of people were actually rooting for the ball to go in the water. I don't know what you guys thought, but like, it goes like, like oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like the noise, uh, like compared to the waste management, everyone's actually rooting for a hole in one because it's kind of the best possible outcome. And I, I know Shane's hole in one was electric here. And Vic, right? And Vic. Vic had one not here, 15, though. It was on like 15. Oh, 15. Yeah, yeah. But, um, it was Which was like a 225 yard hole yeah. in one was absurd. <laughs> but, uh, I think like you, that one was clearly the loudest, but I think people were like generally it was louder when it went in the water versus on the green. So oh, it's like, yeah, you turn to your buddy, you're like, oh, when it goes yeah. in the water and when it hits the green, they're like, they're just like clapping. I love the broadcast. They had they had the water all around 17 so mic'd up. So when someone puts it in the water, so you could not hear a louder kerplunk <laughs> from that. So yeah, I think I think maybe this will, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll start looking at like more three-hole stretches and courses coming up. Obviously, there's some, there's some good ones coming up, obviously, in the Masters and stuff like that, so... Uh, snake pit right yep snake pit coming up this so, weekend yeah like this is definitely need to be a recurring segment like the architecture and the fan experience around these courses yeah it, yeah I, I just think i think the um the something we want to keep and keep thinking about as we move forward is like how the how the broadcast frames each hole and then how they do these aerials and they're kind of like the aerials are always these kind of like really quick things they're really cool but you don't actually connect it to the experience yeah. a lot of the time so well, yeah. one question here real quick while we're just kind of talking about the 17th and everything what the hell is the point of that little bunker there? It doesn't catch many balls. It doesn't catch that. many balls. It's like, is it just there to like tease you? Like, what is it to deter you I, from going at that, you know, Sunday pin? What does it do? All I know is Pete Dye as a course designer does like put things in that mess with your eyes. Like you'll classically, yeah. like you'll see that bunker on 16. Actually, the one in front is a good 10 to 15 yards off the front, but it makes it look like it's, it's in play. So yeah. he just does things to mess with your yeah, eyes. I think the one on 17 covers up that the big middle portion of the green. So you're staring at it and you're like, I have to go left or right of this bunker because it, it contours up just a little bit that it takes away. I guess know, it also being able to see all the green. It probably makes you think that green is also thinner than it is it, too. It just looks. It looks so funny. It almost reminds me of you know a few weeks back where there was the the bunker that's just in the middle of the green. And in this case, when there's oh, just Riviera, yeah. yeah, when there's just green, it just kind of gives me that same sort of vibe. It just felt felt kind of weird. I, I mean, re- I was reading a little. Oh, sorry, Ben. Go ahead. I was saying when you look at it from an aerial perspective, like this green, it's small, but it's it's deep. And I think you just don't realize that when you're hitting off the tee. Every time the ball comes in, you just feel like you're holding your breath. Actually, I was reading about um, about Pete Dye's uh, original design, and I was looking at the drawings. And I think um, this bunker is like basically like a – it's kind of like a scalar aesthetic. It's like an optical illusion almost. Like it's there to give you scale. Yep. Like it's like an oasis basically in the water, and you just put one small thing there. So it everyone kind of uses that sand trap as like a – kind of like a visual anchor in a way. Because it's really – I don't think I saw – any that's way over my head yeah, any, i didn't see a single ball in there yeah going it's kind of like you, if you're looking on the if you're looking over the water and you just see the green it's like an illusion but that that one white dot like helps you anchor your eye towards the green kind of thing yeah i know that's I pete that does the flag he does it's kind of it yeah. has a little fun fact though cool. it was actually his wife that came up with the idea for the 17th green <laughs> she's like give him a hard one that's <laughs> so funny really fuck with them come on and last but not least our fairly average picks for this week tyler walk us through them yeah, not a lot that's too notable this week. Um, maybe to me the most notable is I got another guy that made the cut, still had my streak alive. Uh, not great. Justin Thomas uh, finished with a tie for 34th, which was the uh, same as Ben's pick of Rory McIlroy. We did have three guys miss the cut with their picks. 50%. No what comment. a week. Not great. Uh, we had Colin picking his buddy Double L, missing the cut. 
Dub with Patrick Cantlay and Tully with Xander Shoffley all Bad weather. missing the cut. Um, and then I think probably the most exciting thing from the week, Kenny, Daniel Flippin' Burgers, tied for 15th, pretty solid. That might be... Was in contention the last day. He None was, of you guys can say that. Either. But he was in contention, but... Did he try to cheat? Did he? Did he? Did he? Did he cheat? Got in a fight with my boy Vic. Quite the confrontation. New rivalry. New rivalry. In, in, your, in your heart or in the PGA Tour? Um... Actually, both. I think. <laughs> I think both. I mean, I don't know. I, does anyone want to get into this? I mean, I, I, well, so for I, any right of our wrong, let's do it. For so for our listeners, what happened? With Daniel Berger hits his second shot on the par five sixteenth, a pretty big slice into the water. Goes up to take his point of relief at point of entry and goes further than Vic, uh, Victor Hovland thinks he should. It's a it's a pretty big point of contention for these guys. You know, they're trying to protect the field as they call it to make sure no one's you know taking advantage of the rules and so vic and damon get into it with Berger about where he should drop and it got pretty heated but damon was pretty took a pretty back seat to this whole thing a little right? passive but they were i mean vic surely was like Berger, you're not dropping at the right spot and they got into it so like what the bait was strictly like Berger said oh i hit it 30 yards farther yeah, and Berger, it, it yeah. then penetrated this like imaginary yeah, wall think- here and went into the water versus they were like, no, you're like 50 yards back. And he was like, nah, I can hit it farther than that sort of situation. Berger tried to argue that he hit a slice, and so he took off much more of the hazard and crossed 100 yards up where he was. And then Vic and Damon were like, no, your ball just went straight at the pin and drifted right. You didn't cross any dry land, so you got to drop way back here. It's kind of like when an NFL ref has to decide where the ball on a kickoff goes out of bounds, and they're just like, here. Right. They just kind of throw a flag, randomly hope for the best. And I think in, in like respect to pace of play, too, they really didn't go to the camera for this. And I, it's hard to tell where Berger was saying to drop and where Vic wanted him to drop. I mean, Berger's ball, I think, clearly started over land and then it ended up in the water. Um, but it was, yeah, it caused some drama. If, was, if, if this was like the final pairing, that they would have, it would have been like a gigantic. Oh, game, they would have right? taken twenty minutes to go to the film and everything. Yeah, but, but in this pace, they were just slowing the play. Up. But it's still like a hundred k difference if they wanted, because like, they were like one stroke different at the time, right? So they're fighting they for like one hundred fifty k, two hundred k difference. In I'm the pretty price, sure so. Burger, you know, sent you know Victor a Venmo this morning for the extra hundred thousand dollars. Ken, speaking of fighting, who do you think would win, Hovland or Burger, if they got into it? Well, after I realized that uh, Vic is a heavy metal, like listens to a lot of heavy metal, I feel like I look at him differently. So maybe he's got a little spark to him. He's um, got to be scrappy. You're right. Yeah, he's got to be scrappy. I, I think any guy that listens to that intensive screamo metal has got to be, you know, got to win a fight. Yeah. So not a great week for the boys. Um, we're hoping to turn it around here uh, this upcoming tournament at the Vals Bar. So you'll hear our picks here in a bit. And like I said, maybe we'll do a little bit better than uh, 50% making the cut. Yep, Vals Bar coming up. Snake Pit. Let's go, baby. All right, this week the men are headed into the Valspar Championship and the ladies are off before uh, the Kia Classic in two weeks. Uh, the Valspar is hosted at the famous Copperhead Course at Innisbrook Resort, home of the infamous Snake Pit holes 16, 17, and 18. One of the more challenging three-hole stretches in golf. Uh, Sam Burns is our defending champion this week and has a chance to do what only Paul Casey has done, and that is win back-to-back times. We have a pretty solid field, five of the top 10 and 10 of the top 20. Uh, what do we think about this week, guys? Yeah, we're, we're going to the uh, Innsbruck in Tampa, the Copperhead course. We're wrapping up the Florida Swing. 
on the Gulf Coast here. And this is actually a non-traditional Florida course. You think Florida courses, lots of water, not many trees, no elevation. This is pretty much the exact opposite. We're going to see some tree-lined fairways. It's going to be pretty exciting, these guys trying to keep the ball in play and, and out of rattling around in the trees. Rattling. Oh, like a rattlesnake? Ooh. Yeah, you like that? I worked that very in, good. Uh, very, very good. Very intentionally. Right. So wait, so it sounds like maybe sand saves aren't going to be as important as they have been the last few weeks? Never know. I mean, there, <laughs> there could be uh, a greater importance, but I don't think Daniel Berger's in the field this week. He had to take a week off after getting caught trying to cheat out on the tour last <laughs> week. <laughs> but yeah, it, really interesting here. Five par threes, four par fives. I, I don't know the stats, but this might be the only course they play on tour with five par threes. So par seventy one, that means I guess. That's that's good math there, math Ben. Checks I couldn't out. do it that quick. Math checks Cha-ching. out. So a lot of long irons in play here, and as you mentioned it, the snake pit, probably the toughest three hole ending stretch in golf on the PGA Tour. Sixteenth hole, the moccasin definitely bearing the most fangs out of all of these holes, and then we're the, going to the long par three, seventeenth, the rattler, ending with a. A decently uphill uh, par four, 18th, the Copperhead. So this final hole stretch is going to make for an interesting Sunday if the lead is is jammed up here at the end. It's going to be quite the transition, you know, from the stretch we saw last week with all the water and that, that 17th excitement. Now this one just a more, maybe something more recognizable to a lot of us, you know, up up further up the East Coast, what it kind of feels like, what that looks like out there. Yeah, I think a notable thing that Josh talked about is like the the height differences and, and lots of uh, rolling fairways. And I think we always think about like some of the, to be the best iron players, we don't recognize it on TV, but when these guys are in the fairway, you think their lies are flat, but the ball is really a foot below or above their feet. So it should be a, a course where good iron players prevail. Speaking of good Colin iron. Mark <laughs> yeah, Colin Morikawa. But speaking of another good iron player that just withdrew Kenny, I know your heart's broken. Paul Casey's not playing this week. He's won two of the last three. They didn't play in twenty twenty uh, in twenty twenty. So I don't know. I was just reading. I guess he just needs a needs a week off after that intense run at the players. But um, yeah, that's like his best tournament. Like any great American, he's he's doing a long weekend. He's doing long he's weekend. Sit down, take relax. You know, I got to get intel. I need need him out there, man. Yeah. So just not even just Paul Casey, but I'm really also interested to see like. What other impacts are we going to see from yeah, the longer tournament point. last week? Um, like you said, we're seeing the two-time winner, the great American Paul Casey, dropping out. Um, guys that aren't necessarily dropping out but are going to stick it out and play, are they going to play up to their standards? Um, are we going to see somebody that maybe missed the cut last week um, who had a couple extra days a off? Free weekend, right? Guys, free free yeah. weekend, sort reset of the it. mind. Are they going to come in and go low? I think that's it. I think some of the big guys are going to kill it this week. They're angry. Revenge tour, right? Yeah, I think not just a Monday finish, but just the mental draining of that week. I mean, the weather, the 55-hour first round, just no flow. These guys are just sitting around in the clubhouse, shooting the shit for hours. Like, they got to be coming in this week mentally and physically drained. Is Max Homa in the field? Because he got to go see Batman, so he's probably in great mindset right now. I'm assuming he got on a plane, so he's not going to be there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not just the mental thing for me, too. It's like, I feel like golfers are just so set in their routines. Uh, It's like you see these guys eating the same breakfast every time. They come up before they play. They've got their travel day scheduled. They've got everything worked out tournament to tournament, and now their routine is broken. It's like, is this really going to affect some of these guys, or are they going to be professionals and deal with it and play up to their standards? I think I mean, it'd be a, really cool to see. That's a great point. Like golfers are a special breed of people. You know, these guys, especially, you know, they have to have like three tees in their pocket, one ball marker. You have to, you know, wear their left shoe on the right foot. They have so many like superstitions. I think you have a good point. A lot of people maybe just kind of thrown off by that. 
a what? delayed left shoe on your right foot. It, oh, people are weird, dude. People are weird. They that'd got weird a, kinks. That'd be a very clear disadvantage <laughs> on the golf course. <laughs> Anti hook. If you don't want to hit a hook, wear your right shoe on your left foot. Hey, the camera we should try it. We see you don't know. It might shoe. work. He does this every week, Johnny. <laughs> I think that point, Tyler, is something when you're thinking about who you might pick this week too, and maybe some of our picks too. You think about uh, people who have played here a lot too, because that's one less practice day, right? They're usually traveling on Mondays, maybe play a little on Tuesday, get their full practice in on Wednesday. So now the the schedule's a lot more compressed. So you might see some some people who have played here a lot do well this week. Wait, did you see um, uh, Cam Smith that post that said he had thirty caddies at his house for beer on Monday last week and still yeah, won the tournament? What a guy! No, well, no still won after, after the tournament. The tournament. It was yeah. a, Three <laughs> like a celebration dinner. Yeah. I thought it was before the tournament. Yeah, I was like, guys, getting fucked up the night like, before. Guy won three point six million. Said, "Here, come have some Miller Lights." Uh, okay, like, right, okay. can I get I, you a Fosters? I thought he was just like really trying to pump up the caddies. Or was something. it the uh, Was it the night of? I thought it was the Monday before. I the thought tournament. it was the Monday before. Oh, it was the week before? No, yeah. no, it's after. I think uh, it was we'll after. have to look at that. The we'll story at least that. came out after. We'll have but to look at that. Man of the caddies. Well, speaking of this week coming up and some experience, uh, Colin, I think you got a topic here. You think you think DJ's back? He, he fits that criteria. Well, yeah, let's ask the question here. I, this just feels to me like the kind of tournament where DJ shows up and he wins by five strokes, like leading all four rounds. How can you not look at him, right? I mean, I don't know how you're not looking at how DJ you not here, look but... at Bubba here? He's a three-time champion. At... Not a three-time champion, but I think that DJ's a... A solid pick here. I don't know. Are you going to pick him when we get to the picks? Well, we'll see. But I guess I we'll mean, see. When you think about DJ, he used to be so dominant and a staple at the top of the leaderboard every time he was out there. It's hard to believe that his last win was in the 2020 Masters back that weird COVID year when it was in the fall. What um, a subtle flex. Like, oh, last time I won was the Masters. Yeah. But that was coming off of his, like, dominance in the playoffs, right. too. He got hot. But he hasn't won in, a, a, I mean, a f- over a full season, which to his standards is not very good. His streak ended in 2021. Before that, he had won... A tournament, I think it was in fourteen straight, fourteen wow. straight seasons, which was insane. He did so show signs of the DJ of old on Monday in round four. He fired off that sixty-three nine under, ten birdies in that round. So, I don't know. Like I said, the Valspar seems like that tournament where he can just run away with it if he wants to, and if he's on, if he's on fire. So, I'm interested to see how he does this week. Yeah, what a, what a shot for DJ to end his final round on Monday, holding it from like 80 yards on a one hopping in for Eagle to shoot nine under. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I also want to note here that DJ and Paulina are finally getting married after nine years together, so we'll see how that impacts his game moving forward. Hey, congratulations to them. Yeah, that's huge. They have a couple kids, so yeah, surprised they weren't married, but... Yeah, glad they're getting... And he's huge in that Gretzky that, family. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Gretzky and he was wearing those shoes. Yeah, yeah those that, shoes, Wayne and DJ yeah, collab. Yeah, left shoe on the right foot, too. <laughs> He's going you should by, try it. Anti- he's going by JD. Straighten your game out. The anti He's going by JD this week. <laughs> <laughs> JD. Nice. So let's get in here to our picks for this week. Tyler, lead us off. Yeah, going through our favorites for this week, the top 10 golfers in the tournament. Uh, we've got two guys at the top, Justin Thomas and Victor Hovland at plus 1,100, followed by Colin Morikawa at plus 1,200, uh, Colin's boy Dustin Johnson at plus 1,500, Sam Burns and Xander Shoffley at plus 2,100. Louis Oosthuizen and Tyrrell Hatton at plus 2,400. Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 2,800. And Shane Lowry wrapping up the top 10 at plus 2,900. Looks like Ken is going with the heavy Mm -hmm. favorite this uh, this week, going with Justin Thomas to win. Talk us through it. 
Well, you know, everyone knows I got my guys, but I'm trying to go outside the box and pick some pick someone else who's literally the favorite on the on the tournament. Um, mostly because Tyler had already picked Victor, and I didn't want to um, piggyback. But um, I looked up JT last year. Um, led a lot of the categories. His big drawback wasn't putting. He was 67th last year in putting at the Valspar, but literally led almost every other category. Uh, I think if he brings his putter this year, he's going to run away with it. And he was looking. Uh, one of the stronger performers at the players last year, one of the few guys to go uh, a bogey-free round in the crazy conditions. So um, I'm looking for JT to get a win here. Yeah, JT shooting uh, bogey-free round when the winds were whipping was just, it showed complete signs of him being in control of his game top to bottom. So basically his iron play was great here last year. It was driving it well, but couldn't putt. So he puts it together. I don't think anyone's going to stop him this year. So I said you took the favorite. I actually uh, missed the fact that I also co-favorite Victor Hovland as the co-favorite <laughs> at plus eleven hundred. Uh, stole your boy this week. If you win with Vic this week, I'm going to say it, it, has, it, it has has gonna to happen. happen. It probably so, will. I mean, you look at him; he's been the top ten each of the last three weeks. Um, the thing that gets me he's had he had that dust up with uh, Flipping Burger last week. <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to have him fired up. I think he's going to talk to a couple of his friends on the tour and say, "Hey, man, I was really just trying to protect all of us, the integrity of the game." And he's going to be so he talks feeling, like kind of he's a guy talks like. like he's got, got a Norwegian Patrick Mahomes, you know, squeaky voice. I like the pick. I like the pick. I think he's going to do it this week. <laughs> <laughs> he's been so close. We'll check his know. sand save percentage. Yeah, What's yeah, I, mean, I missed that stat. Um, next on our list, we've got Tully going with Colin Morikawa at plus twelve hundred. Uh, didn't make the cut last week. Hopefully, we have a bounce back. Tully, what do you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going with the, the the Ken Filler approach here, with just not really doing much research oh. and kind of go with more of my gut. You know, obviously, we know Colin's. A great golfer. He missed missed the cut last week. Kind of got ducked by the draw, like a lot of the golfers we saw. But we know he's one of the best golfers in the world. He had a chance to become number one last week. Big bounce back. He's you know tied for second in the Genesis. Looked great there. So I think I think he's going to come back. You know, just kind of give us give us a good run and you know make me some money. Yeah, with Rom finishing pretty poorly in round four, I bet he probably has another chance to get to I number one. Right. All right, jumping to our next pick, Colin, going with this boy, J.D. What do you got? <laughs> Plus 1,500. J.D. Oh, Wayne Let's see it. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and answer my own question here and say, yes, D.J. is 100% back. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of experience at this Copperhead course, but he does have a top 10. Uh, so let's keep it rolling after that 63 on Monday. I, w- I do want to note that everyone's talking about that crazy weather this weekend when it actually got back to the normal Florida weather that we're we're used to seeing on Monday who had the best round of the day, DJ. So he's c- going to keep it rolling this week. Do you think he's going to take the Gretzky name when they get married? <laughs> I don't think he'd be allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> he's not great enough. Benny, next on our list. I don't even know how to follow that up. Uh, Benny, next on our list, plus 2,100, Sam Burns. What do we got? Yeah, so like I said earlier, Paul Casey's the only one to win this thing back-to-back. Well, Sam has a chance to do the same thing and win this one back-to-back as well. I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder. He really performed pretty poorly in round four on Monday. Um Quite an anomaly how, how he drove it on Monday. He was leading the field in driving, total driving strokes gain for the first three rounds and then just hit it all over the planet. I think he drives the ball well this week and gets the job done. Is that another back-to-back reference for you? Yes, another waking vision. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wrapping up our favorite picks, uh, we have Dub going with Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 2,800. Dub, what do you have to say about this? We're completely thrown out last week. He had the rough draw, missed the cut. Prior to this, he had three straight top tens at some difficult tournaments. Pebble Beach, the Waste Management, and the Arnold Palmer. I love his drive driving accuracy. I think he is one of the leaders on tour and putting. It's gonna it's gonna pay dividends here this week. And announcing today, he's he's inked a new deal with Skechers, so he's gonna be playing real comfortable <laughs> oh, wow. on the course. I mean, 
a Big stark news. contrast to those Jordans. So Jeez. he's he's going to be looking for a victory here with the Congrats, new Matt. Outside that Skechers comment, did you just like copy and paste from when I picked him? Like, geez. Yeah, I mean, he's just <laughs> such a robotic player. He, he does it all well, the same every week. So I think also if, if we do see the weather start to turn, which based on our research on, on Wednesday, Tully texted us, said, oh, weather looks great this week. <laughs> Turned out not to be. So Whoa, 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 whoa. Not true. What day did you say the weather was going to be nice? I said they were like Sunday. They weren't calling for rain, and then it just, <laughs> just dumped, dumped right for like an hour. So I think if the weather does start to get out of hand, too, you got to love Matt Fitzpatrick. One, for his driving accuracy, and two, he just hits the ball so straight in pretty low. Nice. All right, that wraps up our picks for the, uh, the Copperhead course. Uh, we'll be back in a second to talk about our best players under 25. All right, and to wrap up the podcast, we're going to get everyone's take on who they think the best player under 25 is in the game right now. Uh, doing our research, we actually found a post from Bleacher Report back in 2012. So we, we found this pretty funny. Uh, I think some of the picks we're going to make today probably don't work out, so this is a good example. But Bleacher Report said in 2012 the top seven golfers under 25 were Rory McIlroy. That panned out well. Ricky Fowler, it panned out well. He's struggling a little bit. Jason Day, solid golfer. Kyle Stanley, on and off the tour, but a solid golfer. And then these last three are pretty funny. Bud Cauley, Rio Ishikawa, and Mateo Montesero. Three guys that... Who? Mateo Montesero. They were they were hot on the tour for a little bit, but man, they really fizzled out. So we'll see if we can uh, buck the trend here and keep some guys that are going to be on tour for a while. So number one, we'll lead off with Colin. Colin's picking Joaquin Neiman. Check back in 10 years. See if we're, <laughs> we'll be back in eight years. If if right. yeah. So Colin, why Joaquin? So yeah, before February, uh, I think this... The clear answer here was Colin Morikawa, just based on his recent success. But unfortunately, as of February 8th, happy birthday, Colin. You're no longer under 25. He is over. 25. Yep. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Joaquin Neiman. I feel like uh, Victor Hovland's going to be the most popular pick here because his official world golf ranking is a little higher. Currently, Joaquin's 22, but that's second highest among players under 25. He had a huge win. I had considered a breakout win for him at Riv uh, a few weeks ago. My favorite tournament, so... Obviously, that's a great win for him. Uh, he was T22nd at the Players this past weekend through some tough conditions. Uh, he was also a past winner at the Greenbrier, so he's won on some uh, historic, some really storied courses here. Um, he had even had two playoff losses last year, so he could have—I mean, he could have easily doubled his his uh, win total as of last year. Um, Vic, um, he has one more win, but I mean, if you look at his victories, they're all in not very meaningful tournaments. He has. Two wins at the Mayakoba, which is basically a preseason tournament for these guys, and then once at the Puerto Rico Open, which, I mean, that's like the tournament that everyone plays in when they don't qualify for the Arnold Palmer. So Yeah, they're almost like not sanctioned events. Everyone talks about him with that. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he hits an effortless draw off the tee, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's going to have some success at the Masters. That's kind of what that course calls for. Um, I think the weakest part of his game is putting. He's about 135th, 6th in that strokes game putting this season but top 40 in all other strokes gains so i mean he's one of those another one of those young guys where when his putter gets going he can be in the mix i think one thing you're gonna have to look out for with vic and we saw it actually on the back nine here on monday was that drivable par four where he put it just short and right of the green and then 
almost proceeded to chip it in the water on what was a pretty basic, like, 20-yard clean lie in the fairway chip. So I know Vic's been working really hard on his pitching and chipping mechanics, but that's probably the number one thing. Or not Vic, sorry. I guess we're talking about Joaquin, aren't we? <laughs> Fuck, Ben, so upset. <laughs> so for I think you're right. With Joaquin, his putter is absolutely – he needs when he putts well, just like just like Colin, he's going he's gonna to play well. I guess we'll just head into Vic there since I already told you why, why, why Vic should be so good. Yeah, so I, I did pick Vic. Um, Colin touched on a couple of it. Uh, three career victories already. Um, third in the official world golf rankings. I mean, that's very impressive to do under the age of 25. The thing that it kind of excites me the most about Vic is he does have room for improvement in his game. Uh, you look Short at game? Him, you look at him around the green. He's currently sitting 211th on tour. He's losing just shy of a stroke per round. Um, so he's third in the world right now, and he's 211th around the green. Just think how scary he's going to be once he figures that out. Um, being so young, he's got plenty of time to grow. He, he's going to pick it up. I think you're going to see him top 10 most tournaments. He has day. been working pretty hard on his chipping mechanics. Not to mention, you know, <laughs> if he can just figure out how to play in the fourth round, Ken would probably have already have picked two or three winners this year. I mean... I think that when push comes to shove, that's where like you know where the ice breaks is his his short game and putting is the final round. It's that's where it's most important. We saw Cam Smith pick up twelve strokes this week and putting, and a lot of that came from the final round. So that's definitely Vic's weak point. It was wild after this week. He comes out in his presser afterwards and says, "Yeah, I really have been slacking on working on my short game, and you know I probably should get back to that. I mean, he's worst on tour. He probably should consider putting a chipper or something in the bag because he just melts <laughs> down." Around the greens on pressure situations. My brother-in-law is a chipper, and it's his favorite club. Is it the square strike? Yeah, the square (laughs) strike wedge. (laughs) One thing I think is interesting about this conversation is like a regional or like international perspective. Like, um, it's a good point. European tours don't count, right? That's what we learned on this podcast a few weeks ago. Well, uh, Louis, who stays in, can't, can't win. Over 25. <laughs> but I think it's interesting to think about this, like, as the game is growing internationally and you're looking at a more a kind of, um, you know, different tours popping up, we have, you know, we have, you know, Sungjae from, you know, is, we're from the Asian area and we have South America, we have uh, Joaquin and we have people coming from you know, Australia and, uh, you know, Vic is from Scandinavia. So it's just pretty cool. I'm just in general, like, each region seems like to have like their own kind of key guys. And I think Vic is like that guy um, from, you know, Norway and that kind of whole North European region. And it seems like um, he can really kind of corner that market and be on some of the European uh, teams in the, in the next like 20 years, basically. Yeah. It speaks to the world of golf right now. We only have one American on this list that we're going to get to. So, I mean, I think that the U S is dominating the Ryder cup right now, um, but you're going to, yeah, you might see a flip here in the future. We only have one American. That's because literally all the best Americans just turned 25. They are. They're getting old. Let's add that in. They might be 30. That might, that might be an interesting trend to think about though, right? Like there's that huge, there's that crop of like 10 to 12 really awesome Americans that are just going to be around for the next 10 to 15 years. And maybe the next, you know, the next kind of, uh, Next crop is going to be international. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't we don't know enough about college golf, but I bet you there's a bunch of college golfers that are Americans that are going to penetrate right into that you know top top group. Penetrate. People. Well, yeah. As, as much as I love rooting for America, it's exciting to see that a lot of these young guys are um, from across the world. It's exciting. Maybe that we'll get some better competition in the Pre- Presidents Cup moving forward. Yep, which is coming up soon, and uh, so I'm actually going to go with a with a Presidents Cup hopeful here in Sung JM. Uh, when I think about guys and, and how they ascend through the game. I mean, all these people we're picking are pretty much top 20 players in the world, but Sung JM, I think, has one of the more complete games. I think that we see a real hole in Victor's game and in Joaquin's game. Um, but Sung Jay, through and through, his putting is amazing. And I think that when you look at players and how they've managed to become you know, top players in the world and stay top players in the world, like Jack and Tiger, 
it's mostly because of their putting, and that's that's why I like Sungjae here. Jack Tiger and Sungjae. Jack Tiger and Sungjae. What's what's his stat? And he does he plays more than any other. He does uh, play a lot. Player. Yeah, he actually didn't even have a home until last year. For his first two years on the tour, he was just going event to event. Good for wow. him. That's a life I would want to live if I was on tour. I know. Make the money while you can. Saving so much money in mortgages and rent. <laughs> right? Delight. Airbnbs. With inflation these days, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to flip the script a little bit here and go to the LPGA Tour. I'm going to go with Nellie Corda. I believe she's 24 years old. It's a great pick. Uh, d- terrible news. We just received this week. She's got a blood clot. Going to have to miss a lot, miss some time. I- I'm not quite sure what the timetable is, but we're definitely hoping for a speedy and, and full recovery with her. But... When I'm looking at top under 25, I want someone that's going to transcend the game a little bit. You know, not just be a great ball striker, not just have all this hype around her, but somebody who can deliver not only on but off the golf course. I think we're at a really cool tipping point here with the LPGA Tour and really being able to gain some momentum. And she's, you know, a young American star, great for the international game. And I'd love to see her kind of continue some of the recent form she's been in and continue to grow the the ladies game here she became the first player ever last year men or women to win a major and the olympics in the same year a gold medal that is with a dominant performance in the last olympics so i'm really excited to see where her career takes her she started to get some big wins under her belt and she's an assassin on the course really unflappable at times played a big role in the solheim cup last year a a really solid golfer who is able to persevere through some tougher times on the course. And, and really, I'd, I'd love to see her to start carry the banner for the, the tour and continue to grow the game. Yeah, I think Nelly winning the Olympics is huge too because a lot of these American players that get good kind of stay on the PGA Tour, which Nelly does, but the, the women's tour also have a bunch of Asian tour events. But Nelly's really going to grow the game globally. And under 25, men or women, she's probably the most talented without a doubt. She also has that cool balance because her sister's on tour too with her. So like in all the travel and stuff, she has someone with her. So it kind of takes away from like the, you know, how much you can get worn out there. So kind of stay fresh and, you know, positive vibes. It's yeah. really uh, interesting. Quite a family. Her brother is also a championship tennis player. So quite the bloodlines there for the Corda family. But and her father also won an Australian Open in tennis as well. And her mother is like a, a world-renowned skater, I think. Yeah, it's incredible. It was cool to see her at the PNC this year, all the success that she's had. When she even in front of like Tiger, I mean, that was pretty cool. We would all be like crazy over Tiger, but she was like kind of fangirling a little bit, asking him for a picture. It was hilarious. Yeah, I think the point about her traveling with her sister and her family is pretty cool. Like, so Jessica's also a top player in the world. So pretty much every tournament major they go to, they get to travel together. They stay in the same houses. So we talk about like Cam Smith being with family this week and keeping his mind off of golf. Nelly definitely has that going for her. All right, yeah. Now for my pick, I'm I'm trying to go a little bit. No, you know, kind of outside some of the top golfers. We are you going with your seen. gut? I'm going real with deep with my gut. I'm looking <laughs> for the next great South African golfer, as well as the next great lefty due to recent events. You know, things we're kind of seeing, some aging, some Fills question, out. questionable statements. I'm going with Garrick Higo here. I mean, this guy, he's 22, got his first win last year at the uh, Palmetto, beating some notable names, including uh, Collins boy, uh, J.D., uh, as well as uh, beating out Tyrrell Hatton by one stroke that week. So, you know, he's got a lot of talent, clearly, and really it just kind of it feels like someone's got to take up that mantle for the South African golf. There's been a lot of great guys out there that, you know, Ernie Els, Louie, who, you know, never really quite finished on EVR, tour yet. Yeah. EVR. There's a lot of people out there that haven't quite been able to, you know, capture a lot of wins from South Africa. I think he could be the guy to do it. He's 22. He's got so much time. And he was checked off some, you know, big life milestones already. Like I said, that first PGA Tour win, got married recently. So he can really just kind of focus in on that golf and 
you know, take us home. Yeah, as a fellow lefty, definitely been paying a lot of attention to him. And, and one of the first times I really started watching the European tour, the DP World Tour, was last summer. Playing the Canary Islands, Higo dominated. He had two wins in three weeks, running away with the field. Comes over the PGA Tour, I think in his second start, wins the Palmetto. I mean, no big deal. He, he struggled here of late, but definitely... Love to see him moving forward here and start rounding into form. Yeah, I think he'll get more and more comfortable either playing on the PGA Tour and then with the courses as he gets some course knowledge. But when you look at all these people on this list, most of them have like quite the pedigree and have been good for quite some time. Garrick's really only been like at his best for the past year, so we certainly are at the start of his career, and he looks great. Yeah, sorry for not picking you know the number three golfer in the world like some people on this podcast. Yeah, like going out of the box a little bit. Yeah, and I think yeah. Garrick Garrick's also like a really cool guy, so a good ambassador for South African golf as well. Yeah, speaking of going out of the box, Ken, who'd you pick for this week? Not for this week. Who'd you under twenty five? It's Vic. It's been said. <laughs> it's always Vic. It's been said. I already I already said my piece. It's always been you. It's always been him. Yeah. I think uh I don't have anything else to say other than that uh Tyler and I are gonna be right and everyone else is gonna be wrong. <laughs> the patron saint of Norway you have here. Patron saint of Norway. Uh, future Ryder Cup captain, future World Golf Hall of Famer, best Scandinavian golfer of all time. See me in 20 years. We'll have a conversation. I hope I don't see you in So it years. seems like Ken is taking Vic's side in the Vic Flippin' Burger argument here. <laughs> yeah. Not- notable yeah. omission here. A little disappointing, Tyler. We're not taking Charlie Woods. What's all? What's that all about? Well, I thought we were going to talk about golfers that, like, want to win but like charlie's gonna win he's just in his it's blood like, it's like can't it's, help it it's like charlie's at the top of the list and then you got all these other guys that are gonna be chasing charlie i don't know oh and two on that you know hashtag chasing tournament. charlie chasing charlie chasing charlie go to see a netflix doc here coming out soon i think another person too that i wanted to mention and going with josh's theme of the lpga tour was lydia ko talk about a young phenom she's only she's only 22 and she's been on tour for like six or seven years um, I think she's been working with a new coach in Sean Foley. Um, if I if I were to go, it's it's, it's a really close battle between Sungjae and Lydia for me. Nice. All right, that wraps up the segment. Take your pick. Tell us who you like. Head us up on Instagram at Big Players Only Pod. Thanks for being here. <laughs>